Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean episode 44 with my amazing MAPT team, Dr. Scott Wright. How are yes, you? Yes, sir. Doing well. How are you, Ryan? I am wonderful. And my MAPT co-founder, Rachel Grubbs, honorary doctor from the Gray School of Medicine. <laughs> I, I, I posted recently, I'm like, what would be some good pre-order bonuses for uh, my new book, The Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the Medical School Application Process? And one student posted, uh, guaranteed admissions to medical school. And I said, done to the gray school of medicine in (laughs) 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 done and done that's right all right right. i'm excited for another ask the dean i love the questions that we get into um as we're jumping in here uh just a a small um, behind the scenes thing. Rachel, what is the, can you send the link in Slack to kind of our note taking um, snippet taking form? Oh yeah. We're using for that. Yeah. Yeah. I've got it. That'd be good. Oh, I'll message you guys with that. Yay. Awesome. And then um, I'm excited for mapped. We have access um, in our, our staging site where we get to play with stuff before it goes live to kind of a new user experience for entering courses and uh, all kinds of stuff. So hopefully a lot less confusing and straightforward for students as they're getting into MAPT. Yeah. Always on the upward trend of improvement and enhancement and new stuff and Exactly. And Rachel, do you want to talk about Ask the Dean for, uh, not Ask the Dean, (laughs) National Pre-Med Day for a second, talking about all the fun stuff we have going on there? Yeah, so this is really exciting. Uh, For those of you that have been hanging out with Matt for a year or so, you may remember that uh, last year we uh, had our first ever National Pre-Med Day on May 28th, 528, like the MCAT Perfect Score. And uh, it was a hit. It was our hope that it would be an annual thing, and that's what we're making it. So, again, this year on May 28th, it's going to be um, in some ways like last year and in some ways we hope better. So, uh, one day, all pre-med, pre-health, a little bit of pre-A talking all day long. Um, This year, to make room for even more conversations, we're going to have – actually four different tracks. So there'll be one that's specifically for like pre-meds who are undergrads, one that's um, uh, kind of, so it's about the pre-med years, undergrads and non-trads. There'll be one that's sort of specifically about the admissions process. So, you know, depending on where you are in your path to med school, there might be some topics that are more relevant to you than others. And then we're also doing a diversity in med track. Um, So that'll give us a chance to Um, have a lot of conversations through the lens of different identities. And, you know, something I was pretty proud of last year is that we had a lot of representation from a lot of groups. 
but we didn't have a chance to do a deep dive into some of those identities. And, you know, especially when it comes to intersectionality, you know, when you're, you know, multiple minorities or you're dealing with multiple underestimations, you know, I think it's, it's really good to give folks a chance to dig into those. So we've got a whole track that talks about that with different folks from different groups. So I think um, it's going to be even more detailed, even more chances to, to get the learning that folks want. I'm super, super thrilled about it. And as always, it will be free dollars. So zero dollars. <laughs> <laughs> free, free as in three or free as in zero? <laughs> free as in zero dot zero zero. <laughs> um, so, you know, who, who's invited? Pre-med students, pre-health students. We are doing a mini PA um, physician's assistant track this year. So we hope that uh, PA students will attend. We hope pre that pre-PA students will attend. Thank you. Um, we hope that pre-med, pre-health um, PA advisors will attend. Um, so we're really looking to get the kind of whole community together um, to, to have these conversations. Um, and, you know, last year, a lot of the, the topics were sort of um, podcast format and some will be like that conversational. Some will be more like fireside chats. Some will be more sort of presentation. As always, we will leave plenty of room for questions and answers. So every session will have a dedicated Q&A component. Um, it's going to be awesome. And people can sign up now at nationalpremedday.com, which I think I've got a banner for. If not, I'll whip one up real quick. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope to see everybody there. It's going to be exciting. So exciting. Um, in terms of uh, pre-asked questions, I don't see any in the private chat. Rachel, I don't know if you put some there before I jumped in. Uh, I'll take a look. Yeah, there were one or two. Okay. Um, sometimes the system eats them when we go live. I know I saw them, but I might need a minute to find them again because Facebook has eaten them, so you guys may want to. That's all right. So if you're watching this live, go ahead and ask your questions. There you go. Uh, here's this first question here. I heard RVU is expanding to Billings, Montana in 2023. What is it like being the first class for a med school? Is there risk involved? So I will expand on this. I heard that this has been canceled. Um, that there was something with the RVU president potentially having some issues. And so Montana said, no, we're done with you. Um, but let's, let's assume this is going forward. Uh, Dr. Wright, what is your thought process with first year med schools? Yeah, so that's a good question, and I've had experience with uh, several of these, and uh, both from the um, aspect of as a pre-health advisor uh, running a pre-health program, uh, my students going and interviewing at a brand new school, or also being on the, the end of it where the uh, at the Texas Application Service where we were integrating in brand new schools. So I've had both aspects of this. And uh, my, my feeling is that the risk involved is 
not really these days there's not risk involved that the school's going to not get accredited you know in so in, in in other words in order for a school to uh, enroll their first class in order for them to even begin to recruit uh, or anything at all they have to have from the accrediting uh, body of, of of medical schools whether it's osteopathic or 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 uh, allopathic they have to have uh, the the letter that says okay you can begin and you've been awarded provisional uh, accreditation <clears throat> so the chances of a, of a school getting to that point uh, and then somehow failing thereafter are pretty low um, what that means is provisional uh, accreditation means that that they don't get full accreditation until they've graduated their first medical school class uh, so that's four years hence. And uh, so what happens is in that in that four years, uh, you know, I think there's a little bit of, of of angst on the on the part of some applicants that what if something happens in those four years and they don't get accredited and then my degree won't be any good and blah, blah, blah. And uh, this is is very, very, very rare. It hasn't happened, you know, any time in the recent past. And. Uh, I think the bigger issue for students looking at brand new medical schools is, am I the right fit for this? You have to be somebody who likes being on the cutting edge, being able to be, I hesitate to say a guinea pig, but in, you get what the drift I'm, I'm saying is that you have to be willing to be you know, in on new stuff. But the great part about it for many applicants is that they also get to help create what's going to be there. They yeah. get to create a culture. They get to create uh, a lot of things relative to the curriculum and other things. They get to establish traditions. So if you're the kind of student who really likes the idea of being in on the very first part of things and being able to put your stamp on what that's going to look like, then, then I think new schools would be a great fit for you. Uh, if if you worry about that and you don't want to be that kind of test per, test student, crash test dummy, yeah, then I would say maybe a brand new school is not the right school for you. And it just depends on your personality and and your you know your sort of take on those sort of things. And and I had students who would go and interview at a brand new school and who were all excited and they went and it was a great experience for them. I had other students who came back and said it's not. I, I don't want to. I just don't want to do that. And so, you know, I just think it depends. Yeah, I I think I look at new schools like any other school is is it's going to be a culture fit. It's going to be yep. this fit, that fit. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around, oh, this school doesn't have full accreditation. Like, well, of course not. Right. They can't. Right. Um, and, and I think, again, there's a lot of potential misconception and it's going to be different by school that it's a brand new school. So nobody knows anything, right? These schools are hiring yes. people who know everything absolutely, who are coming from other medical schools usually yep. Yep. to, to now launch something new. So yep, that's exactly um, right. I, I think the biggest, the biggest challenge with a new medical school is the same challenge that every medical school has, but it's potentially unique for new medical schools is the interpersonal dynamics between 
the dean of the medical school, the dean of admissions, the the new yeah. curriculum people, and yep. and potential conflicts that come up because these are new teams that are working together. Right. Now, usually, again, that kind of goes out the window too because these teams are typically working together for a couple years before they even get their preliminary accreditation to start accepting a class. Yeah, anyway. that's exactly right. I was, I uh, when I was director at TMDSAS, I was in very involved in the establishment of Dell Medical School at UT Austin here in Texas. Uh, in fact, I chaired the student affairs and admissions committee for. The, the, to the where we wrote all the policies and procedures and you know everything that needed to be written a lot of it was um you know we would look at other other medical schools and say what do we like about what this medical school does what do we like about what this so it's not always the idea that you're creating something from nothing yeah. you're creating something that is a conglomeration of a lot of different things that you pick and choose that you want to do and you're right uh that these, these, uh, especially the leadership of the institution, they've been together for two, three years. You know, often the dean is hired, sometimes even three or four years before the school's gonna gonna start, yeah. and uh, that dean then puts together uh, a a leadership team, and uh, and those those members are coming from other medical schools, certainly. Uh, so I, I agree with that completely, and I, I just don't think. I would not use the word risk when I when I would talk about new medical schools. I think the risk involved is is so low that it's not really an appropriate word. Yeah, and I'll I'll share this real quick. Um, and so the the RVU Medical School in Montana um, is going on. It was this clinic that I that I noticed. So uh, obviously, as a school, you need clinical rotations, and so there was. I guess some issues with some leadership in the clinic was like, eh, we don't want to deal with you. So um, stay tuned for that news. We'll we'll see where that goes. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, Let's go to some of these pre-asked questions. No, we see. Number one, when should we start sending official transcripts to AMCAS? Can this be done before the application opens in May? How far in the future can we project hours on the AMCAS application activity section? So the first question, official transcripts is pretty easy for all three application services. You cannot send official transcripts to the application services until that year opens up. Right. So each And in fact, uh, I will say that the Texas service has started a new policy where they don't want transcripts until they request them from you. So that's a big change. Interesting. Okay. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then how far in the future can we project hours on the AMCAS application? So the AMCAS instruction Mm -hmm. manual specifically states that you can project out until the estimated start of a projected start of medical school, which is typically August of the next year. Yep. A lot of medical schools start in July now, but I think historically just put August of the next year. So you can project hours and time until then. Yep. Assuming you are being honest and you actually are going to do that. Right. Uh, experience. Or no other pandemic hits or other catastrophe. Uh, no, please. No. I know. I shouldn't have said that. I put it out in the universe. We, we are all, as a MAP team, all officially one dose vaccinated. 
So that's, yep. uh, that's good. Yep. That's right. Um, all right. Next question here. Does non-science, does non-science letter mean a letter of recommendation from a non-science professor or can it be anyone like a boss at work? No. Professor. 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 Yeah, uh, there are some med schools that specifically say uh, work experience or non-academic, but if they don't articulate that, then the default assumption is academic. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Uh, what are some good ways to approach the why our school question in secondaries? Uh, obviously I think, I think the best answer is make sure you go to the cafeteria so that you can talk about the food and how you want to eat. (laughs) (laughs) You have some, some regression analysis and go, you have the most Chick-fil-A's within a 10 mile radius of the school. So I'm good. (laughs) I actually had a student this year who, who was writing his, uh, he was actually interviewing at uh, a school and, you know, anticipated that question, you know, why our school? And, uh, and he has some great answers. He talked about, he had done a lot of research about where the school was located. Uh, it was in a large metropolitan area. And he, he, he researched a lot about what the population of that area looked like and the, the different demographics of the area and the socioeconomic, uh, you know, situation in the area and stuff. And so, and then he drilled down to how that school is addressing those disparities or those populations or, and it was a fantastic answer. And I would say the same thing about secondaries is that, you know, you, you really have to address, you know, if you, if you beat around the bush and stuff, they're, they're going to, know that immediately but if you hit hit it directly on and say you know i like your school i'm attracted to your school because of x y and z and you tie those to the values of the school to the mission of the institution and to where it's located uh you know in the in the whether it's rural or serving rural areas and whether it's urban uh etc so you, you really tie what you're what you're talking about and it has to be real you can't just mm-hmm. say oh yeah i want to do that and, and <laughs> you know there's nothing else in your application that seems to suggest that so yeah yeah i i think the the core of your answer is you have to do work right <laughs> yeah yeah research the school that's right research the area the environment i i think the worst answers are the most generic of like oh yeah. this school is going to prepare me to be a great physician yeah. <laughs> okay yeah or, or the very common well, i know graduates of that school and they are great people <laughs> yeah yeah okay. or or even worse my dad graduated from there, so <laughs> I want to go there. Or my mother went there because yeah. I, so I want to. Yeah. Well, I was. I, I might argue that the worst one, which I've heard multiple times, is I'll go anywhere that takes me. <laughs> and I definitely understand why, like you feel that feeling, and like we're lucky to live in a country where all the med schools are great. So, like I understand the sentiment, but dig, dig a little deeper, get a little yeah. bit outside of your fear. Don't right. articulate that. An yeah. interview is two directions. So what are they <laughs> offering you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. Oh, yeah. 
All right. Um, categorizing my classes from 2010 to 2024, should I just have a huge senior year or evenly divide my courses freshman to senior? Rachel, you're the uh, application yeah. expert. The answer is you should have a huge senior year. So um, this comes up a lot. Um, so if you search the mapped group or just go look in the AMCAS handbook, you'll see they actually divide it out. So um, if you, you know, very few people have done eight nice, neat semesters, right? So in, in the case that you have multiple years or transfers or non-traditional work, what AMCAS advises is that you go essentially by groups of credits and it doesn't have to be on the nose, right? So mm -hmm. I think they say freshman year is usually 30 or 35 and then sophomore mm -hmm. year is usually up to 60 or 65 credits. Mm -hmm. If you land at 67, that's fine. But once you go forward, you don't go back. So that means that a lot of people have giant senior years. Senior years, it yeah. It just encompasses a long period of time. That's fine. That's normal. Um, and that's part of why the application services don't just look by year. Sometimes they'll do things like, you know, pull an analysis of GPA of the most recent 60 credits, you know, because that might be half of your senior year, depending on how much, you know, well, that'd yeah. be a lot of DIY work, but, you know. Right. Um, yeah, this is a holdover from the, you know, years back when higher ed was strictly, you know, four years and there was a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, and everybody was pretty much full time. And, you know, back, you know, we're talking about, you know, 100, 100 years ago or, you know, 50, 70 years ago. And it's just not that way anymore. But the, the language and the structure still exists. And so, yeah, it's a little confusing. Yields. Uh, I took course credits, satisfactory versus unsatisfactory, for undergraduate research for two semesters. All I had to do is participate in a research lab with a PI and then submit an essay about my experience to the director of undergraduate research office. This also helped me publish a commentary. Should or can I enter it as two different activities, research and publication? Hmm. Hmm. Publish a commentary makes me nervous because it might have just been a semantics thing, but it sounds real informal. Hmm. I don't know what that means, commentary. I'm not sure what that means. Yeah, I don't know either. But to the point, even if it, even if it, let's say, for example, this also helped me publish a, a paper, let's say, or a poster presentation, a poster presentation. Should I or can I enter it as two different activities, research and publication? Um, I know there was a big debate about this in the Texas system, and they really don't like you doing that um, because that that sort of double dips and stuff off of one activity. I would put it all lump it all into one category. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think this question comes from students who think like, oh, I have to have a publication, so I need to list it separately. Uh, and and I, I just don't think schools are filtering based on must have at least one publication activity in their application. They're they're filtering stats and then going from there and looking at, at the the activities more holistically. Mm -hmm. yep. All righty. Is participating in community health fairs to perform screening such as blood pressure, et cetera, considered clinical? Sounds like it. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. Dealing with 
patience and dealing with patients and doing medical assistant type stuff, right? Blood pressures and blood sugars and yep, all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, yep. I'd say so. I like it. You too. All right, on to some live questions. Oh, yeah, it's a biggie. Big one here. What advice do you have applying to Texas schools as as an out-of-state applicant? Don't. Looking at University of Houston College of Medicine, which states out-of-state applications, welcome, and TCU and UNTHSC School of Medicine. So so just to clarify, University of Houston, Scott, that is a public school part of TDSDS? Public school and tiny. They're entering classes 30. Yeah. TCU, UNT, HSC is a private school, not part of TMDSAS. Correct. The MD school. They do have a TO school. Yeah, um, UNT, UNT uh, does have a DO school, the, the, uh, um, the primary school there on their campus, and then TCU yep. students take their classes there as well. Yep. Um, so, so two different kind of categories right. there. That's right. Uh, I'm currently a paramedic and would like to eventually be a medical director for an EMS agency. Texas doesn't have a scope of practice for EMS, which is attractive to me. Doesn't have a scope of practice for EMS. That's concerning and doesn't sound right, but okay. Yeah, I, I, and, yeah. and, and I believe going to school there will help network when residency and fellowship opportunities come out. I'm applying to New York State Public Schools and out of state. Um, all right. So at the end of the day, the question is Texas public schools like University of Houston mm-hmm. have a 10% cap based on Co- state law. That's correct. So that's correct. And and I can tell you where that mainly shows up for the Texas for out of state applicants to Texas schools is it mainly shows up in the MCAT score. What it it it, it vastly increases the competition, which doesn't radically change the average uh, GPA uh, for students seeking entrance as out-of-state applicants. Your GPA has to be strong, of course, and I, I'm talking about, you know, 3.7 and above. Uh, but MCAT score shoots through the roof because there's so many applicants uh, from out-of-state and there's so few places available. And, yep. and the cap, the, the 10% cap is a cap. It's not a requirement. Uh, so the schools don't have to accept, you know, any if they don't want to. That's that would be completely up to up to the individual institution. Yep. And the other school, UNT HSC, uh, is a private MD. Yeah, the TCU. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they um, they don't have caps. Right, because they're private schools. Now, right. I don't, I don't know if you know. Are, are they potentially similar to Baylor, where they are getting some funding, and so there is no, there's not. There, there are only three private institutions in Texas uh, that are med schools: the Baylor College of Medicine, which gets some state funding, and therefore they have a cap, which is lower than the ten percent. They enforce it around thirty five percent, thirty thirty five percent. TCU, as well as Incarnate Word University's uh, College of Osteopathic Medicine, uh, do not uh, aren't required to, to to enforce anything because they don't get any state funding. Yeah. Okay. 
All righty. That EMS no scope of practice just doesn't make sense to me. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. That, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm an EMS. I'm going to do surgery on you because I don't have a scope of practice. So <laughs> right. Sky's the limit. <laughs> and that's where we get new seasons of Dr. Death. Yeah. Jump in my van and let's do this. <laughs> oh, <ick. laughs> <laughs> Got a scalpel. <laughs> anyway, uh, is biostatistics statistics considered a math class? And would you recommend adding it to the science and math GPA calculation? Sounds like it. Yeah, I would. That's, I would say that's so. is math. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it. It really depends on where where it's taught. If it biostat is taught in biology, it would still go in the BCPM. Um, mm -hmm. If it's taught in, in mathematics or in a stat department, then it's still going to be counted as math. So either way, it's going to go in at BCPM. Yep. The The only caveat to that is a comist does not count math as a science. Correct. Yeah. So that's correct. Potentially good for non-math people, strong math people. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. My question has to do with honors scholarships among also their prestigious summer and postgraduate research programs. Are such experience essential to very selective medical schools in terms of not only gaining experience, but confirming other aspects of your application, leadership, GPA, et cetera. I'm thinking about the multiple SERP programs across the country. So do we have a de definition of SERP? I think summer. it's summer undergraduate research program. Yeah, there you sorry, go. I didn't mean to step on your toes, Rachel. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So SERP programs, I don't know a ton about them, but it, it, just a quick Google search. It looks like they are kind of throughout the country. It looks at it looks like at lots of good schools. Mm -hmm. um, my assumption is just a, an activity to do during the summer to potentially put on your your application. Mm -hmm. Now the question is, are they essential to very selective medical schools? No. No. Not at all. No. Not even research is essential to very selective medical schools. Even very selective research schools. Right. I, I talked to, I'm assuming, I forget where it was, but I'm assuming it was at the UC Davis conference um, having a conversation. It actually might have been the, the WAP conference, the Western Association of uh, advisors, health advisors, yeah. Um, uh, talking to uh, either dean or director of someone at, at UCSF, right? This huge research-oriented medical school, and he's like, one of the biggest things that we want to try to get out there is that you don't have to have research to apply and be competitive at our school. We're, we look at everyone, right? And obviously, yes, you you need to to do research once you're here, because that's just a big part of who we are, but you don't have to be this huge research person to, to come here. We're looking at everyone. So there's just lots of misconceptions around research and medical school applications. I agree. R agree completely. Yeah. My, my, the, the thing I've been saying lately, which is, so it's a little exaggerated, but, but I, I always say research is the most overrated part of a medical school application mm -hmm. in, in terms of the pre-med world. Yeah. No. I would agree with that. I, I, I can't. Yeah. I can't count the number of times someone's told me that they're rock solid on their extracurriculars, and then they name clubs and research. And I <laughs> ask about clinical, and I kind of get a. Uh, I'm like, wait, <laughs> did, did you not hear? I have three first author publications, Rachel. 
Yes. Those are just people that I really want to educate. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Of course, I don't like blood and stuff like that, but I can do research. No, no. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a pre-med say that to me. <laughs> uh, okay. I've had, I, there have been uh, med, med students, I'm sure at every med school, who have fainted in sure. anatomy lab, who have fainted in their first surgical rotation. You know, I mean, it, oh, yeah. it happens. It happens. Yeah, Here's surgical rotation, there's there's usually on the pre-med hangout at least once a year, a whole post, a whole thread about all the things you can do to prevent the fainting. Yeah. You know, like, did you eat a little but not a lot? Are you practicing bending your knees so they're not locked? Yeah. <laughs> Are you breathing through your mouth, not your nose? <laughs> it's great. It's okay. Uh, so on relocation. Given that relocation is not an option for me at the moment, I plan on applying to only one school my first cycle, the one closer to my home, and that is a great fit for me. Any specific advice or strategy on this? Yeah. <laughs> Cross your fingers. <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah. the same advice for anyone. So <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, if it's hard. If it is what it is, then you you go for it and Hope for the best, and if you don't get in that cycle, then you re-examine what you're going to do to to make it happen the next next time. Yep. So yeah, yeah. My my piece of advice is if if you're in that area, you're from that area. If you know anyone that knows anyone, like lean lean yep. on those networks. Uh, yep. I, I had a student a couple of years ago who was a pathology assistant, so a, a different kind of PA, and she applied to medical school to one school the the program she worked at an academic medical center that had a medical school attached to it and she applied to that program the only program because her husband had a job and and couldn't move and she didn't tell anyone where she worked that she was applying to medical school like what are you doing like your bosses probably are on the admissions committee yeah Um, (laughs) and so next time she applied we we worked together and she applied to two schools the second time and she got into the the one school that she wanted to go to the, the second time. But it's, it's a risk, right? Getting yeah. into any medical school is hard with only one school. Yeah. Makes it harder. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, I, I like that this person adds in the parenthetical statement that it's a great fit for me. So they, they seem to really like the school. It's not just the location. And I think, you know, that'll be important in those secondaries and interviews that, you know, uh, my best friend happens to be my college roommate, but I don't tell her you're only my best friend because you were the girl in the bunk, <laughs> you know, <next laughs> me. I, like you got to you got to dig deeper for a better reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Can you talk about screens and if the school you worked at had any, <laughs> was it? Well, we used to open the windows. We used to open the windows all the time. There were screens on the windows, and some flies wouldn't come in and stuff. And I thought you were going to say we would open the windows and let some blow out, and those were the people. We screened out. <laughs> no. Oh, you're talking about different kinds of screens. Oh, I see. Um, <laughs> so I think every medical school has some level of screening uh, that takes into a consideration MCAT and GPF some some sort. Now, it may be rock bottom stuff. I mean, we used to get, 
we literally would get people who had a GPA of under 2.0. And this was not, there were no trends available. You know, I mean, there were no trends present. So, you know, we would get clueless, you know, I hate to say clueless, but, you know, people who really hadn't investigated the process yeah. and didn't really understand they what was going to on. the whole process, right? They, they in, were in yeah. the definition of ignorant. Yeah. They, they did not understand what was going yeah. on. And so the, the medical school is not going to waste time on, on somebody who like that. So there may be, you know, some cursory examination of, 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 uh, you know the, these applications, but they're not going to do deep dives on 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 applications that clearly are not uh, qualified to uh, to to come into medical school. So um, now, ha- having said that, if you know there are students who have a cumulative two point five GPA, but are postbacks and their postback GPA is a three point seven or a three point eight or three point five or whatever, and so that's a different story, and they. They screen those in different ways based on the the different numbers of the GPAs and stuff to put them in categories to on who how they're going to be examined and how deeply and who's going to examine them and stuff like that. But my, my feeling is that logistically, when you when you're talking about getting tens of thousands of applications, there 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 just by definition almost has to be some level of screening yeah. that goes on. Yeah. And there are some schools that'll say we look at every application and with the the context, the subcontext of we don't screen. And I always like to add a little bit extra onto that for students to understand what they're not telling you is that they still sort and and rank applications and go, hey, we want to see the highest MCAT, the highest GPA first. And you may have the lowest stats in a pile of 8,000. We're only inviting 600 for interviews. Mm-hmm. We're never going to see your application. Right. Right. So That's right. It's, it's hard and yeah. it's, it's frustrating. Um, and, and this is a discussion. It seems like we have on a weekly basis of transparency in the application yeah. process. Yeah. There are a lot of, of, uh, kind of perverted systems in place where schools aren't transparent about their cutoffs so that potentially more students apply and they do it under the guise of, well, we want to make sure that we're catching all of the good people out there who may not have the best GPA, but they're also saying, give us your money during the secondary application. That's right. And so there's, there's lots of, of, I just, I don't like it. It feels icky to me. (laughs) I agree. I agree. We, speaking of ignorant callers and stuff, and I don't mean, I I don't use that term in a pejorative kind of way. I just, you know, just strictly that they don't know. Yeah. And uh, we would have students, we would have uh, interested individuals that would call the admissions office and that they would say, hey, I want to go to medical school. You know, when, when do you guys enroll? Yeah. (laughs) And we're just like, wait a minute, what? Up. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, wait a minute, what, what, what planet are you yeah. on? You yeah. know, I don't, I don't get this. And so they were shocked to know that you had to have prerequisites, you had to have basically a college degree, that you had to apply you know, a year, and apply a year a half. Yeah, I mean, all this stuff. And then they were like, you know, and then they would get mad. They would, yeah. you know, well, that's ridiculous. And you know, they hang <laughs> up ridiculous. on us and stuff. Don't you know I mean, who I am? <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> I used to get a lot of that in test prep too. People who I think often because they didn't know and didn't have advisors to tell them would call us looking for help with the process. And I used to get a lot of, well, can I just take the MCAT and see if I ace it? And then if I rock it, I'll go back and take the pre-meds, pre-rex. Yeah. I'm like, well, mm. I mean, if you have the world's best critical reading and thinking skills, <laughs> maybe that'll work yeah. for you. But like, it was really hard for them to understand yep. that it was a sequence and like, you're going to need that content on the exam. And, you know, even <laughs> though the exam is more critical thinking than content, you know, there's, there's that content, content, contextual base. Yes. Um, and, and yeah, I had people be annoyed that, you know, they'd call in April and say, well, I want to start med school this fall. So can you help? I'm like, mm. Uh, it's not gonna work. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, it's it's really opaque. You know, um, you go to the. I think, go ahead. There's. I was gonna say there's some schools in the Caribbean that they could go to. It would take them. I don't well, know. That would take them. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't mean they'll graduate. No, but yeah. that will take them. <laughs> but even them. even April to, to to July or August is pushing it for that timeline. <laughs> um, well, I'm not talking about the better of the schools in the. Caribbean. Yeah, that's true. I'm about the, yeah. The, no, some some of them are re- more stringent, reputable than, than others. Right? Yeah, um, that's right. right. Yeah, but I mean, I think if you go to the AMC website, what I always say there is there's like almost too much information for it to be helpful. Like you click and click and click and click, and you keep getting walls of text. And at yeah. at no point is there something that just simply says tell me where you are in your life right now. I'll tell you what you need to do, which by the way is why we made maps. <laughs> yep. um, Cause yeah, it's, it's not obvious what the path is. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. All right. Let me see. And hence our esteemable Dr. Gray's new book, which la- lays a lot of that out for you. Oh, we're plugging things again. Here we go. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. My estimation is somebody can pick up that book and have a pretty damn good idea of what this is all about yeah. and what to do. I'll make it a ticker for a second while we dig into our next question so y'all can jot down that app. Um, okay. Here we go. Comments. I was halfway through a semester of research when schools were shut down due to COVID and I graduated that semester. To be honest, because it was a year ago and the research was never concluded or published, I really don't think I could discuss the research confidently in an interview. I do feel like the brief learning experience was valuable, though. How could this be classified in an application? Hmm. That's a good question. I, I, you know, honestly, I would say almost the way you just iterated it in that question you know just you know i learned some things here's what i learned but got cut off because of covid and i graduated the next semester and i didn't you know really can't talk about it very confidently because it got cut off but i did learn some stuff while i was in there i mean that would be what i would say i think it depends on what the research was research was about because you can research even now kind of the background of what you were studying and learn about everything that you were studying. You just can't talk about what point well, forward. Yeah. And, and so I, I think, I think you put it on your application and you say, well, here's, here's why we were studying what we were studying. And because it's been a while and it got cut off, I can't really talk too much about it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I think they'll be understandable. Oh, absolutely. All right. I did a do-it-yourself post back this year, so I'm not getting a committee letter and sending stuff on my own. How does this work? Do I just have my recommendations sent directly to the schools from the professors? Good question. We, mm-hmm. we don't talk about this much. Yeah, this is a really good question. I actually got this from one of my students uh, last uh, last week. It's a really good question. Um, I think Interfolio is the way to go. Yeah, explain what Interfolio is. So Interfolio is a letter um, letter service uh, where all your you establish a uh, an account there. You have to pay for it. It's not a whole lot, I don't think. I, I can't remember the fee. Actually, but it's free to to store all your stuff now, and they they changed their model a couple of years ago, and now you pay when you transmit. When you transmit, right? Yep. And uh, and yet all the letter writers send it all to to uh, to Interfolio, and then Interfolio will send it to the, uh, for example, the Texas service. They sent the Texas service pulls it in electronically from Interfolio, and uh, and I think the same thing uh, happens uh, for the schools at uh, at um, through AM, you know at, at AMCAS schools and Acoma yep. schools. Yeah, so so there there are two ways to send letters. One is through a, a dossier type service like Interfolio, and there are a few other ones, but Interfolio is the, the most popular one. And and just kind of transparently, it's something that's that's on the timeline as I'm pointing to mapped here. It's it's something I would love to see in mapped at some point mm-hmm. so that you can collect letters of rec inside of mapped. Um, the one benefit of doing it through Interfolio, even though you have to pay extra is that you can start collecting letters of recommendations now before the application cycle opens up. If you want to send directly to the application services, you can. Each application service has the ability to upload letters of recommendations directly to the application service. If you're applying to multiple application services, your letter writer will have to upload to multiple application services. And they can't upload those until you actually have your application open and that letter writer's name input into the system right. to request that letter. Right. So Hence, the dossier service, like Interfolio, makes yeah. total sense. Yeah. It's, a, it's a smoother, less cumbersome uh, process. You do pay a little bit of extra, uh, extra, but I think for the peace of mind of it and the 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 less amount of work that that is for your letter writers, the better. Yeah, and and there's one benefit that comes with Interfolio is that they have the ability to check letterhead and signature mm-hmm. and date to make sure that the letter meets the requirements that most schools have that it has to be on letterhead and has to have a date and a signature. If, if Interfolio does their checks, their, their super secret checks and says, Hey, student Sally, your letter writers letter doesn't have a signature. You need to go tell them to re-upload it. You get that done before uh, there's issues uploading it directly to the application service and then you never really find out and schools have an issue and you don't know. And Yep. Yep. Here's where I insert my uh, long time pet peeve rant that very few 
not very few, many schools still require ink signatures. It's right? ridiculous. Like, I mean, I have a printer, but like I haven't used it in six years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, I can't, I e-sign everything, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, the, often for letters of rec, you're going to have to tell that person to print it out and sign it. And I like to sign mine with blue ink so it's super clear. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh, wow. They'll catch up someday. Yes. When, when we get some super <clears throat> cool features in MAP that allows some security around that signature, we'll, we'll do that. Oh, yeah. I was going to say when uh, these students are deans of med school, but, <laughs> but maybe <laughs> sooner. <laughs> yes. Well, right. you know, that's interesting. Uh, you know, when we're talking about things like holdover from the, from the past, such as this <laughs> signature issue. You know, I was thinking the other day, Ryan, I'd be interested in your comment about this, that at least for the, I mean, I understand where, where med school, where we're coming from, where med school is full-time school. Mm-hmm. You can't go to med school part-time, mm-hmm. at least in the U.S. I don't know about internationally. But what that does is that takes so many people out of the mix mm-hmm. who can't do that and basically says to them, you can never be a doctor. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, when is the day going to come where the, some med school says, we're going to change that. We're going to change the, the, the dynamic here. Yeah. And we're going to provide a way. Maybe it's a sicker path. Maybe it's an path. I don't know what it would be. Yeah. But we're going to provide a pathway for people who can't do that. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? So I'll, I'll give you my thoughts um, <laughs> because I this is the kind of stuff that I, I lie awake and think about. And I've had a conversation, Rachel, with, with John, who you know, um, about not specifically a part-time longer medical school, but virtual medical school. Yeah. And this was pre-COVID. I had this conversation. I said, there's no reason in today's day and age when medical students are complaining that they're paying schools 40, 50, $60,000 of tuition to sit at home and study third-party test prep material. Mm-hmm. Why am I paying tuition for that? There, there's no reason in today's day and age that you can't have virtual first two years of school to where you can stay home, you do the work, and, and maybe that helps with the people who need it part-time, right? Because they, they can make their own schedule. Um, you, you set up some specific rotations that, that need to happen, right? Anatomy lab and stuff like that. You figure that out. Uh, and then you have a dedicated rotation site for the third and fourth years that everyone yeah. goes to. Yeah. And and in my mind, the, the very easy way to do this right off the bat would be dedicated to people who are interested in family practice and say, yeah, absolutely. This, this is only for people who want to go into family practice. You don't mm-hmm. have to try to match because we have a program, right? We're setting up a brand new residency program. We're going to do 10 students a year to start off to prove this capability um, and guess what? It's free. It's free yeah. medical school. And, and there are lots of programs doing this now. Purdue is one of the biggest institutions that I know that's doing this for some specific majors mm-hmm. where you go to school for free 
and you are basically signing a contract that a percentage of your salary goes back to the school in the future so that you don't have this debt hanging over you. Yep. It's it's very similar because a, a percentage of your pay is going away, but it doesn't force you to go into the highest paid field to pay back all of these debts. Mm-hmm. You go do what you want and a percentage exactly. will go back to the school. And I yep. think it makes perfect sense for lower paying fields. Unfortunately, they're lower paying like family practice, like pediatrics to where we can get students who want to go do those things, but maybe don't because they're pressured to go into a higher paid field. And then we're losing out on amazing family practice docs or amazing mm-hmm. pediatricians or whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. So, and, and all of this stuff is going through my head pre COVID and then COVID just proved that my model would work. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's right. Now it just needs to happen. <laughs> yep. That's right. Well, that'll be our next company. So there you yeah. go. <laughs> College of Medicine. Yeah. <laughs> what did we say coming 3212? 3212. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. 654. We probably have time for one more. Uh, let me see where I was in the queue. But to answer your question specifically, Scott, I, I think. I, I think part-time medical school, there's no reason in my mind why we don't have part-time medical school. Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot of ego wrapped up into that. Ego. That, that's, I did that's it this way. way. Everybody has to do it that way. Yeah. You can't yeah. prove to me that they're going to be as knowledgeable. Make baloney. Yeah. yeah it's oh. baloney. You're right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Because learning never works when it's spaced out at intervals. <laughs> <laughs> who, who created this space <laughs> intervals? <laughs> oh man yes. cramming is definitely the best way to retain best way forever <laughs> when you put it that way so. oh ooh, education nerds having a little moment okay uh there we go when making a medical school list should we avoid public state medical schools as an out-of-state applicant my state oregon only has one medical school or one MD school. I was going to say, right. no, they, they have two medical schools. They have um, Western. Uh, mm-hmm. I forget. It has a different name, but it's in uh, South Oregon, the DO school. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so my typical philosophy is check the MSAR. Yep. Not every public school is built the same. Uh, here, University of Colorado is very out-of-state friendly. University of Michigan, very out-of-state friendly. Um, and so you have to check the public, the public schools and, and see if they're out of state friendly. Yeah. And, and really at the end of the day, my biggest wish when I talk about this, um, my biggest concern is just make sure you're educated that there are in-state, out-of-state biases when it comes to public schools. Absolutely. As long as you know that, that University of Arizona, Phoenix has a... 24%, and I'm making it up, but it's somewhere around there, 24% out-of-state acceptance rate according to the MSAR for the last application cycle. As long as you know that and you're okay with that, apply. Go for it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you talk about DO schools, very few are are state institutions. And so, yep. uh, I mean, there's a few, but most of them are private. So it doesn't that, that doesn't really apply 
Um, yeah. And, and private doesn't necessarily mean they don't care about residency. They, right. Baylor, we talked about earlier, Baylor right. cares about residency. And they're, they're, right. there's one DO school, I think it's Arkansas um, College of Osteopathic Medicine is mm -hmm. very in-state friendly. Yeah. In Jonesboro, Arkansas. Northeast Arkansas. <laughs> the ugly part of Arkansas. <laughs> Oh, I used somebody, to live. I, I used somebody to live lives there. there and loves it. So just <laughs> well, it's flat. It's flat rice fields. Scott, that, Scott says, I used to live there. I'm allowed to make fun of it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a lot of cotton fields and rice fields. It's flat and not not necessarily too attractive. So yeah. All righty, well, another cool. Asadine in the books, episode forty four. We need to do something big for episode fifty two. That'll be fun. Yeah. Um, so 45, uh, for those of you that are watching live, will be a public one. So uh, Yeah, next we'll, week. Mm -hmm. That's right. We'll that April week. is here. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. April is here. Crazy. Yeah. Holy yeah. cow. Right. This is depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, have a wonderful week. We'll see you next yeah. time here on Ask the right. Take care, everybody. Adios. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.